0: Welcome to the Friday Night Ohio podcast. I'm Chris Bevan of the Canton Repository, along with Joe Scalzo of the Rep. We're recording this two weeks out from the start of the 2019 high school football season, and Joe and I are going to offer up a Federal League preview in this episode. The league will feature three new coaches this season, and there figures to be quite a few teams in playoff contention and also fighting for the league title. Joe, let's uh, start off with talking about who the three new coaches are in the league.
1: Yeah, I mean, Marcus Watley is
0: replacing Dan Reardon at McKinley.
1: Um, Dan went back home to to Youngstown, Ursuline, after a pretty successful four-year stint. Uh, Bo Balderson takes over for Scott Garcia, who is happens to be the winningest coach in Glen Oak history, and also the, the AD there, but I think it was just too much to try to do two jobs. And then Mark Geist takes over for John Wallace at, at Green after, I think he was there, I don't know, five or six years, but... Uh, um, kind of came over after one year at Kent Roosevelt.
0: You look at those three, and I think an argument to this question can be made that any one of them has it. But who's got the toughest job in year one for those three guys?
1: Yeah, I, I thought the same thing when I saw that question. I, I I think always McKinley will always be the toughest And that's job. where I was
0: defaulting <laughs> to as well, even though you could really make an argument that it's going to be a, a, an uphill climb at times maybe for for Bo and Mark at uh, Glen Glenoka Green, respectively, but... When you come into McKinley, you are expected to win and mm-hmm. and they do have some talent back uh, this year.
1: Yeah, they do and and I mean really the the, make, the thing that makes it so tough probably is just that Maslin is in pretty good shape their program. I they only have uh, a, I think seven starters back from last year's team, but they have talent everywhere and and so you're always kind of judging that rivalry. And so looking ahead, I think that's, that's what, um, you know, people kind of gauge his success at, but, but like you said, th- there is talent there. I think they're going to have to start a sophomore at quarterback, but, um, you know, they got three or four division one prospects. Uh, I'm starting with Jalen Ross at, at wide receiver and, and Amir Garrett running back and, and, uh, uh, Jasper Robinson is a Kent recruit, but he uh, he's probably more of a prospect than a player at this point. But but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's talent there to to, to challenge for a a federal league title. It's just can he can he put together a team that's good enough to beat on in week ten? I don't know, and um, you know if. If you look around the federal league, there, there's probably two or three or four games where you say they they could lose those games too. So um, that's always a challenge, just because the expectations are so high.
0: Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of parity in the league in recent years, where you kind of had an idea going in, oh, this team is going to win, and then we'd see the opposite result. There just it was hard to judge these teams on a week to week basis. Uh, Everybody was pretty good for the most part. Going team by team, we touched on Glen Oak. Let's go a little more on Glen Oak. Bo Balderson taking over. Uh, you talked with him recently uh, to get some stuff ahead of the season. What uh, what should we look for from Glen Oak? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is Kendall Richardson, who, who had,
1: uh, got a season-ending leg injury last year against Maslin in the first quarter. That was a Week Two game. He, he's back now. He's he's healthy. He's he's you know one of the best athletes at school, if not the best. And and uh, that gives them an answer there. They they got a kid uh, JT Cook, I think is his name, who saw some time last year as a sophomore probably wasn't ready as a sophomore but um you know looking at him in camp he's more of a, a classic drop back passer kind of kid and he looked good and so you, you have an answer a position that they didn't have an answer for uh last year and um just looking at him, i mean they, they they look like glen oak they they have some big guys they have athletes everywhere i think it's just a matter of um how long it's going to take balverson to to get everybody buying in and get depth at every position to get them back to where they were a few years ago but uh um, when I saw them, I mean, they looked like a decent team, not a, probably not a federal league championship contender, but uh, you know, better than they did last year.
0: Last year they had that tough year, and it, it uh, leaves a, a taste in the mouth. How, how much have they gotten over that and gotten past that, and looking forward to getting? Uh, you know, last year no wins against American teams basically. <laughs> I, I, when I was out there, they did not seem like a team that was uh, have any sort of hangover or anything <laughs> like that. They
1: they seemed loose and having fun and. and certainly that should be the case in August. Um, yeah, I, I think the, you know, the issue here is just, um, you know, can they get better enough to, to maybe go five and five or something like that? I, I don't know if that's, um, something they can do and we we'll to see, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, they, they, got some talent. They're always going to have athletes there. It's just. Uh, you know whether they can put it together quickly enough because you know there's some pretty good teams I think in the federal league this year.
0: Well, and on top of that, for them, you look at their non-league schedule. Week one, Cleveland John Adams. I think that's when they're thinking mm-hmm. they're going to get. But after that, it's Maslin and Fitch, and then later in the season, St. V. So no easy touches for Glen Oak in the, in the non-league schedule. Look at uh, Green here real quick. Um, another new coach, as we mentioned, their non-league games: Firestone, Brexville, Louisville, and then uh, Central Catholic a little later on. So. Uh, Decent, challenging non-league schedule for them in some cases there.
1: But yeah, just hearing that, it kind of smells right, right? It's yeah. like, okay, that's a good balance of, of challenging teams right. and games that they you know, can Got win. Got a shot to win. Yeah, because I think some of the problem is just um, when you're a team like Green who hasn't really been successful in the Federal League since you come back, by the time, if you if it's week 7 or 8 and you're banged up and you're not competing for a title, I think sometimes that hurts you. So if they can get some non-league wins, I think that would be huge for them because I, I think they're coming off a 1-9 season and and I uh, kind of just need to get some momentum there and uh, get some people excited about football in that school because I think when people look at Green's program, that's the one school that probably stands out as not being a, a true football kind of school in the, uh, of all the Federal League teams.
0: And you mentioned a good point there with the non-league schedule. You really have to be smart in how you do it in the Federal League because you can have a good team in the Federal League and you're still maybe well, going 3-3, three and 4-2. Three, and two. Mm-hmm. That could be a good season against the caliber of competition you're playing. You over schedule Though in in your other games and you maybe only go two two one three in those, well then you're looking at you know maybe you're five hundred, maybe you got a losing season. It's a it's a real tightrope you have to walk to to get yourself ready, but not overdo it and, and, and bear you know wear down your kids.
1: Yeah, and I think what you're seeing is there it's getting even more strategic for a lot of teams. They saw what happened to Hoover and Perry last year. Hoover under or I'm sorry Perry underscheduled, and then you get anything from. Two Canadian team wins. Hoover may maybe overscheduled. They they were really
0: good. It's Hard to say if they convert from the goal line in the yeah. East game. That you know they probably get some of the play. They gets them in, but right. yeah. Or if the game they wanted to play against Worcester, they get that game instead of having to go play a Columbus team that was good. Uh, you know maybe they're in yeah and i think i think there was a sense
1: you know you look at lake how many times did they make the playoffs at seven and three there was always a sense that you could you know maybe six and four you could get into playoffs even if you went three and three in the federal league and then you know won three or four of your non-league games you're fine but now you need to not only win those games but you need to get points from those teams um and so it's it's a tough challenge and and uh yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I think for the most part they do a good job, but it's always tough because there's a lot of schools that don't have any interest in playing Federal League teams outside their conference. They just want to go 10-0, even if it means getting smoked out of the first round of the
0: playoffs. And that's why when we look at these Federal League schedules, we see St. V a lot because St. <laughs> V's in the same boat. Hoover, another team looking at the non-league schedule, they'll be playing the Irish uh, in week nine. But early in the season, Buchdahl, which I think is going to be strong, Louisville, and then they have John Adams. So three of those games, are not going to be easy for them, and then they have the Federal League uh, schedule with it. What uh, What are you looking for from the Vikings? Well, I, one, one thought is uh,
1: St. V is maybe the biggest beneficiary of the fact that they're not St. Ed's, <laughs> Menor, or or St. Right. Ignatius. I, I think everybody looks now. at them, yeah, and they're like, okay, this is more palatable, even if it's a tough game. Um, they can do that. But, yeah, I mean, on paper, I think... Um, I think the sense is, is maybe Poover's the the favorite in the federal league this year, just because they got some good guys coming back, and they just have Connor Ashby at a quarterback, who's um, you know I think going to be heads and heads and tails over everybody else in the league, uh, quarterback wise this year, and um, so they look really strong. And I think um, I think there's probably a really bad taste in their mouth coming so close to playoffs last year and, and not getting in, because I think they were a team that probably wouldn't have beat Maslin, but.
0: They could have game a game. Big f- factor, I thought, and, and Ashby having such a, a great season as a sophomore was the guys around him. Yeah, there was a lot of guys that could make plays, especially if you got them the ball in space, and they they seem to have their offense designed to to maximize what they could do with different people. Several of those guys are back, which I think also bodes well for them. Besides having Ashby back,
1: yeah, I mean, Adam Gregulo is was was a really good running back last year. I, I think he's um, he's just even bigger and stronger than that, and. Guys like Drew Johnson, receiver, who, yeah, like you said, I mean, and the the interesting thing to me is Connor Ashby, if you talk to him, is not a, he's not a Baker Mayfield. He may play like him, but he does not have that kind of uh, uh, demeanor. bravado. (laughs) So he was in a perfect situation. that's a bad thing in high school. Right, yeah, I think uh, if you're not Baker Mayfield, that could wear thin, or maybe it does even if you are. (laughs) But uh, he was able to just kind of focus on what he did, and I think they did, you know, they they, they tailored the offense so perfectly to what he did. Um, that it looked probably more complicated than it was, um, but... Shoot! When you're hitting guys in the chest every time you throw it, then uh, everything looks easy. And that's kind of what he does. So, but I think uh, I think he's ready to maybe step up and be a little bit more vocal than he was last year. But I, I think you're right; he, he was in a good situation that allowed a, th- a sophomore to thrive.
0: Jackson, we'll talk about next and their non-league schedule. They've had a, a, a good set of games that they've kind of had the last few years and had some good series: Akron East, Mayfield, Boardman. Later on, Central Catholic, the neighborhood rivalry, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Those, again, those are great games for them. They've uh, come out on the winning end most of the time in those matches, but not every time. And I think this will be a good test for them going into the, the, the league season, going with East, Mayfield, and Boardman right out of the gate. Yeah, I agree. They, they,
1: uh, those are perfect games because you know they're a big school and they could get stuck with those Ignatius Menor games and they've managed to find teams that. that um, it's always helpful if you lose every once in
0: a while <laughs> to an Akron or Boardman. If, if you you're ten 10-0 back. in the series, they're not going to probably give you game eleven.
1: Yeah, but I, I you know what? What impressed me last year was I thought that last year was a, a sign of how far Bud's program had come. I think they finished six and four. And they were probably really a, a hair away from beating Hoover and going seven and three and and you saw that was kind of like a. A, a statement on how healthy his program was because he had lost Piladas who had played quarterback for him for the previous three or four years and, and you know, he had to replace a lot and and you'd see like these guys he could just plug them in and uh, they were productive and you know obviously this year jake ryan is is kind of the feature guy just like he was last year but um you know i, th- I think he's creative enough offensively that he finds a way to maximize whatever he has and And uh, you know they just—they're a good team. I mean, they're they're an established program, and I don't think you're ever going to see them go back to those two and eight, three and seven seasons that sometimes Jackson had.
0: They also might have the best athlete in the league this year uh, with with Mr. Ryan. What uh, what do you expect from him after a a tremendous breakout year last year? He could be used. you know, in a variety of ways,
1: I think there's a sense that maybe he could play a little bit of quarterback. He'll, I mean, he's primarily a wide receiver. He's a really good defensive back. And, um, I think they're hoping that they don't have to rely on him to, to, you know, produce 75% of their passing offense, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's, uh, he's a player that makes everything else easier for everybody else. And, and uh, you know, he, he's a, probably a contender to be Federal League Player of the Year, along with, with Connor Ashby, at least in the preseason.
0: Lake is the one team that uh, plays four straight non-league games to open the season. They're going to be on the road for Ashland and Brush and then home with Copley and Louisville. I, I know you caught up with Coach DeGeorge recently. What, uh, what can we look for from the Blue Streaks? there's some quiet optimism there. Um, they are
1: really high on their junior class and there's a, you know, you not just in Lake, but I think you talked to some other coaches, there's a sense that they could be a good team. Um, you know, they were six and four last year. So it wasn't like they were bad, but maybe a seven and three, eight and two team, if everything kind of falls in place and, um, you know, they got, uh, they, they lost a lot of guys. They, they lost their leading passer, rusher, receiver, but they just have a lot of depth. And I think there's a sense that they don't have to rely on one or two guys at, at receiver or running back anymore. And uh, um, they got a good offensive line. David Rhodes is a, an all conference guard, I think. Um, and then Joe Spahn, who's 6'6, 3'30, is a, a junior, is a left tackle. And I think he's. Um, going to be one of those guys that probably is a first team all-conference player. So um, when you run the ball like they do, uh, it's good to have those kinds of guys.
0: That's the thing I've been hearing about Lake in recent years, that they had this group of linemen and some size mm-hmm. coming up, and what is now the, the junior class. Uh, I started hearing about them as freshmen, and and I think there are some guys even behind them it will be in the sophomore class. So it seems like the, it, it's, you, you know, you, we, we spend a lot of time talking about skill guys, but if you're Lake, you need to have a good line. Yeah, because everything they
1: do is predicated on that. They just don't have uh, guys that can turn a, a bad play into an 80 yard touchdown. They're, they're a, a team that gets four yards in the first half and six yards on runs in the second half, and that's how they beat you. And, um, you know, Dan DeGeorge is a, you know, he's a. All American running back, Malone, and you know it. He's it's in his blood, so I think he likes that. But you know, one thing is is John Demarco, who was at Louisville for a million years and had Bennett Lake in the late '90s. He's now an assistant, um, so I think he's going to add even more. He's he's obviously a guy who likes to throw the ball, and and I think they're going to look to open it up a little bit more. And they, I think they have the receivers this year to do it. And, and Jake Eccles is a, a junior quarterback who who got some experience last year, and they kind of like him. I, I get the sense that he could be like a Connor Ashby light, maybe not that not quite that talented, but. Uh, You know, similar mobile, accurate kind of thrower.
0: Yeah, we were talking in the office the other day. Anywhere Coach Demarco's been, that offense has been fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he knows how to to find the the ways to make the best use of the pieces he's had at at a variety of schools. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. We touched a little bit on McKinley. We'll talk a little bit more about him right now, Joe. Their non-league schedule: Warren Harding at Booktel, and then uh, Euclid at home, and then obviously week ten with Maslin. the Bulldogs are gonna, you know, get tested right away. Those first three games, those are all playoff-type teams that they're playing right out of the gate with a new coach.
1: Yeah, and like we said, the expectations are high, so they can't afford to go, you know, maybe two and two or one and three in those games. And um, they have a they have a hole at quarterback. Um, you know, I think they you know, they obviously had Dan Elijah Curtis the last two years, a federally player of the year last year. Uh, Matthew Reardon was going to be that guy. Obviously he goes with his, his dad to Ursuline. So th- that's a whole, but they have um, solutions in a lot of places. And, and in addition to the, the Jalen roses and the Jasper Robinsons, you know um, you know, they got a couple DBs that, that were huge as sophomores last year, excuse me. And, uh, you know they got Joseph Saipia at at uh, at linebacker. He came on huge toward the end of last year, and and uh, you know I think that there's a sense that if they can get the line solidified and they can get the quarterback solidified, they got they got answers pretty much everywhere else. And and uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting to see because we you know Marcus Watley took over at Saint V. He was successful, but there was the, you know that was coming off those those state championship runs, and so um, you know is uh, is he up to the challenge? We don't know yet. I mean, I like what I hear from him and obviously he was impressive in the interviews, but uh, you don't know because Dan Rudin was a, a really good coach. So, um, big shoes to fill there.
0: Coach Watley spent last year at the University of Akron, so I think that'll be a unique perspective he brings, too, having been away from the high school game for, for a year, and I'm sure he was on Coach Bowden's staff. Uh, I'm sure he learned some new tricks, and mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what he's able to, how that's able to translate uh, down to the high school level. We've done this alphabetically, so the seventh and final team we'll do is uh, the Perry Panthers, who have been the class of the league uh, year in, year out the last four or five years. Keith Wakefield's still there. We know it's going to be the wing T Non-league schedule for them. Uh, a Thursday night game at Central Catholic that should be really interesting. Then they have Akron East. Naperville uh, North from Illinois. And uh, in week five, they'll be at Louisville for their final non-league game. So... Uh, Pretty good schedule by them there to, to get them ready, especially that East game jumps out as something they put on there to mm-hmm. to beef things up. Yeah, and like we said, they they were really hurt by those
1: Canadian teams last year, and, and some of it is stubbornness by Keith Wakefield. He you know he doesn't want to play at Ignatius or something or or a team to the west of him. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, yeah, he, the the Naperville school, it's kind of like a a bigger version of Jackson. Uh, they kind of look like that for people that, that aren't familiar. And I think that's a school that they feel like that, you know, is a, is a good test for them, but uh, probably more than any school in, in the federal league, Perry's, Fortunes don't really rest on who's coming back or their specific talent. It's more just um, he finds a way to to get the most out of like the guys he does have. And I know four of their five linemen are back, um, starting with Vinny Scurry, who who's uh, you know uh, going to be at Toledo as a guard next year. He's he's you know probably as good a lineman as, as there is in the league, and and uh, Max Millen, who started twenty one straight games for him, and and uh, y- you know the the biggest question mark for them. Um, is Josh Lemon, their, their, their top returning back, has had a stress fracture in his back. He hasn't been able to practice all summer. He's a guy they're not sure if he's going to be ready for week one. It's been kind of lingering since uh, baseball season, and I think they think if they get him back, you know they'll give him the ball a lot, and, and that kind of puts everything in place, um, because we know that they're not going to throw the ball 13, 14, 15 times a game. So um, they need that feature back, and then every everything else can kind of work off misdirection and but
0: uh, if all goes well for them, they won't throw it 13 <laughs> times in their three non-league games to open the season.
1: <laughs> they threw it, I think, 35 times last year. Now, some of that was because Frank Scurry wasn't like, a great passer. And I was going to say
0: some of that was because they got behind at one point, so they had to throw. <laughs> most of
1: it, it seemed like he would call it just on first and ten, like a big bomb to Trey Robinson, and he, I think they connected about five times for touchdowns, and that was the rest. That was most of the, the, the yardage from last year, but. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think he uh, he really likes the team. They're strong and physical and um, they're kind of his kind of guys. But from a, a talent perspective, this doesn't match up to the, the teams that made it the state championship game. So, um, you know, they're gonna have to do it more from from the attitude and effort standpoint.
0: Perry is a team that has fluctuated at times between Division One, Division Two in recent years, and believe it or not, this is probably a year where they wish they were Division One. <laughs> um, you don't say that often. Looking ahead to the postseason, Division One uh, in the same region: Glen Oak, Jackson, and McKinley, and uh, among the heavyweights in that division or region are St. Edward, Ignatius, Mentor, and Euclid, and there's some other assorted. Uh, pretty good programs as well so no easy path there division two region five uh probably the best uh, region in the state uh, regardless of division perry hoover and lake all find themselves there along with last year's two division two state finalists hoban and maslin and then you're talking about hudson which has had some great seasons of late nordonia has been to a state final warren harding fitch boardman walsh jesuit Bedford Brush, uh, you can go on and on, and then also another Stark County team that was in the playoffs last year, Division Three Alliance. They move up to Division Two Region Five, and then Green. If they do end up having a good season, I think they're in the most favorable region sure. you could have uh, in the Federal League, Division Two, Region Six. Uh, the top two teams from there last year were both ten and zero, both from the Toledo area, and they're both out. They're in Region Seven. The two holdovers, Avon, Avon Lake, were each uh, I think nine and one last year, and uh, I know in particular Avon Lake's usually a good team year in year out. The move ins to that uh, region: Barberton, Wadsworth, Worcester, Highland, all of in playoff teams. Uh, you talk about. Codsworth uh, has had some 10-0 and seasons. Uh, Barberton, I think, had a 10-0 and season recently. Uh, they did lose their running back uh, that was real talented, transferred to Booktell. So uh, I think... Uh if you're looking at that, if Green does surprise some people, they're the team that has the best chance to to make any type of noise from that standpoint. Because otherwise, the other six teams in the federal league, if they win a couple of games in the playoffs, they are really good. I mean, they'll they'll have earned those wins.
1: Yeah, I think Hoover, or I'm sorry, Hoban and Maslin stand out just because they could be um, they could be the two best teams in Division Two, or at least in the top four again this year. And only one of them is you know going to get out and and. and it's not that it's not that those teams in, in region 6 aren't good, but yeah, I mean, geez. it's just that level. I mean, it, yeah. it, that's and it's just how really do you find football. a way to get in? That's the thing. Like even if you think you have a a team that's capable of making some noise, you got to get in. And you have you have two or three bad games and boy, you're really behind the eight ball there so
0: and, and that's what's so easy to do in the Federal League if you lose, let's say, your third uh, non-league game, then you get into league play, and you you drop a couple there. Maybe you're in all three games, but suddenly you're on a three-game losing streak, and... Your season's probably over with some of the goals you want to have, but it's very easy that it could happen to a good team. Yeah, and and
1: uh, that probably makes this season so fun from an observer standpoint. But right, I think, not having to coach. But I, I think you know when you saw last year, you had you know teams like Lake and Hoover and and Perry that all had winning seasons and they weren't they weren't in the playoffs. It makes it a little bit less fun from our standpoint because. Well, for one thing, we sell a lot of papers. (laughs) Well, you want to watch
0: good football. You (laughs) want to see teams that are good. And, you know, obviously we
1: had a lot of teams from the pack that made the playoffs like down in the lower divisions. But, you know, from our standpoint, like the the interest, you know, is is really high in the Federal League teams. So um, it's always cool when you get a couple of those guys in there. And especially now that that most of them are Division II, um, it has a chance to be kind of a fun tournament. And, And last year, you know, we missed out on that a little bit.
0: We'll be back to uh, preview some other leagues and some future podcasts. We want to thank you for downloading and listening to the Friday Night Ohio podcast, a podcast from the Canton Repository Sports Department. Look for future episodes throughout the preseason and into the season. For Joe Scalzo, I'm Chris Becker.